I'm just thrilled. You know, it just seems like every little step in my life has been an adjustment. You know, an adjustment. Sometimes something gets loose and you have to tighten it or uh, you have to change screws or whatever. It's an adjustment. It's something I have never done before. But it feels right and it feels good. We're so uh, excited about our church, um, this town, and what God's doing here. Um, I love the fact that everybody in our ministry and our church is connected to something in the community. Uh, I am. I'm a substance use disorder counselor, and I'm seeing more and more the value of my testimony in that arena. And, um, and so raising our children up in the ministry, we, they've just come right along. They don't know anything different than life in ministry. So I'm very confident in um, the way that we've loved Zach and we've nurtured him and raised him up in the Lord and the education and the experience he's gotten not only in our ministry but in other ministries and what he's gotten to see outside of this ministry and these doors. So I feel very confident. I'm, I'm blessed to have a daughter-in-law like Danielle. Um, she's in the nursery right now. She's got a heart for the children, and I'm blessed for that. She likes to decorate, and so they're, they're fluffing up what we've got here, and I'm blessed with that. The rest of our children as well, they're just supporting everything that we're doing. So as far as how I feel about it, it's an adjustment. I'm still thinking, you know, but it doesn't feel like somebody's taking something from me. It just feels like I'm able to let go and, and support what I've done and watch it go even further than we've taken it, which is very exciting. And to be able to support, you know, little by little, I might be able to go with him as well and travel. And I have a big, big heart for women in ministry and wives, and not only the ones that preach the gospel, you know, from the pulpit, but also the ones that are at home with their children and, and uh, supporting their husbands. So I just have a lot God is stirring in me to be able to give. You know, everything that I have learned in the ministry, I want to give out whether it's something for someone to follow or just a testimony for somebody to know a little more about us and what ministry can look like. So uh, my heart's full. I'm excited. It's an adjustment. Do I know what's going to happen? No, but I know God's in it all the way, so I'm not afraid at all. Um, and I'm, ex I'm excited about what God's doing. So. Amen. Well, I'm still the corporation president of Christian Family Fellowship International. And so I oversee the whole ministry, which we have extensions all over. We have, for instance, a pastor in Haiti that has nine churches and a school on top of a mountain. And we have pastors in Mexico. We have connections with pastors in Ecuador. We, we are connected to people overseas. Uh, I've preached in Kenya. I've preached or been in Nigeria and also Egypt and and Israel, and uh, had people fall out and be slain in the spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Jewish guide was like, oh, what do we do? Are they, are they dead? <laughs> no, they're going to get up. Don't worry. But anyway, it's a joy. I want Pastor Ken to come for a moment, too. He has been with us all the way. He worked with me down in Florida, too. And he oversees our ministry institute. And since 1991, yeah, I was in 91, you came with me in 92. We had a couple of times he was ministering elsewhere and then came back. But uh, we've overseen the licensing and ordination of over 300 ministries. And so here I lost track. I don't know how many, 
but it's been close to 150 that was licensed, ordained, and sent out. Like, I'll give you one example. Chris Martinez in Columbia, South Carolina, has a church there, and he was youth pastor with us for many years, and then he took over the church we had in Puxico, and uh, then he went on and started that church, and there's been others, you know, went to Pigott and different places to start churches, and I ministered in Barney for a while, and in another building, and do different places, but anyway, I want you to share your heart on that. Well, we're just finishing up a ministry session tonight, and uh, so those of you that are still in classes, you know, if you know if you have class tonight. Uh, then also, uh, on no September 11th, we'll begin a new term, and uh, we'll be talking about, I'll be teaching a class on church government, and also Bible doctrine. Pastor Zach is going to teach a class on the book of James, and uh, Brother Kevin uh, Swan is going to be teaching a class, Second uh, Timothy. <laughs> so you're invited to be a part of that, whether you want to get a ministry license or not. If you would like to learn more about the Word of God, we encourage you to do that. Amen. Praise the Lord. And. We'll continue to administrate the ministry, and we'll all, I'll also be the counselor, the legal counselor in the ministry, since I'm covered by insurance. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, Sister Virginia, she has, they have God's Powerhouse Ministry out in Brosley, but she oversees our women's ministry, and we're, we're like that. We work together. And what a joy it is to have ministries that are tied in fellowship. And I just want to say, hey, good to see Crossroads here today. God bless y'all. We want, want you to feel welcome. And, uh, you know, you're only a visitor one time in our church. Then you become family. So if you've already been here before, you're already family. So, But we are thankful and glad that you're here. And now may I introduce you to our pastor, Zachary McAnulty, to come and minister. Thank you. Well, good morning and hello. It's great to see you guys here today, and it's great to um, great to be able to speak with you guys on the first first Sunday as pastor. It's, it's surreal. It's a surreal moment. Um, so, what I want to do before uh, before we start off, really just kind of hammering out and and saying a whole bunch. I uh, I just want to read the word. Is everybody cool with that? If you're not cool with that, you're in the wrong spot. <laughs> So let's do this. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're starting 21. Words will be up there for you if you want to follow along. You don't have your Bible. It says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through, uh, through the word and to present her to herself or to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they fed and cared 
for their body? Are they feeding care for their body just as Christ does the church? For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Ephesians 6.1 goes on to say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. I wanted to read this passage because I think this is really important, especially to what we're doing right now in kind of this first Sunday in this, in this transitionary, uh, transition period is that one of the words in our name, both in, our, uh, in, our, in the, the global ministry that we have, but then also within this local church is family. Heartland Christian Family Church. And so we see that there's a lot of things that, that are written out here for, for families. As Danielle and I have, have, have continued to talk about um, what we want to be doing and the different plans that we may have and the different you know, tr- visions that we would have for what we'd love to see out of the local church, the first Sunday I don't want to do the thing that most political figures do whenever they come into a position of leadership is stand up and tell you a bunch of promises and give you a whole bunch of lists of things that they would like to do and then only come up with actually doing a very small portion of them. But the thing that I want to do is I want to consistently be one who's drawn to the word and speaks truth because that's what the word does. And so family is something that's extremely important and that's something that in the inception of the church is that that's what mom said that she really wanted to have a part of this, of this ministry is that she wanted it to be a family. And so truly, if we're going to be a family and we're going to continue on being a family, then we need to also have the principles and we also need to be able to walk out the portion of scripture that speaks heavily of family. And I love that the examples that they give here are not just for, um, hey, only if you're married, this applies to you. Because actually it says in each one of these examples, as Christ has done. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Each and every one of these commands and each and every one of these instructions were given as to the body of Christ. And instructing to the wives to obey their husbands, it's, it's, it's speaking not just from you need to do this and that's all you need to do with no example. It's actually as you do to the Lord because Christ is the head of the church. So in our submission to, to who Christ is and our submission to what we're going to be doing within this ministry and to impact this community, we first need to be able to look inside of our own homes. We need to see what is going on in our households. Our first ministry cannot be outside of the outside of the walls of our household. Our first ministry is called to our home. 
And that's also if, if, you are, if you are a single person in the room, that also means if you have a roommate, you are called to also help your roommate get closer to Christ. You are to help keep one another accountable. Accountability is something that, that we talk about often in church and we talk about in the, in the process of living as a community of believers, but it's, it's also something that ends up being very squir- squirmish whenever we talk about it at times because it means conflict is gonna occur. When we talk about being challenged, a lot of times we, we think of a negative outcome or we think of a negative, um, uh, in any kind of negative process and being challenged. But in reality, if you are challenged by someone who cares about you, then that means that they're looking for a solution that can help improve your life or even improve theirs. It's a process that, that's going to help grow and, and push. And so in this process of transition and as we continue to move on and, and to see what, what God is doing, we need to also be okay with, with a little bit of challenging nature. We need to be able to equip one another. If, if we're going to do what Paul says in Ephesians, is we need to be people who equip the saints for the working of the ministry. We cannot just be people who stand here and, and just meet on a Sunday morning or just meet on a Wednesday night and that be all the things that we do. We need to actually live out what is the gospel. We need to be challenged by the word. We need to be able to go through and read the scripture. Um, a theologian, I've been reading a lot of, of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. If you've been around at the conference or anything like that, I've mentioned his name quite a bit. Um, he was a German theologian who, uh, who was uh, very impactful in Germany. He actually had the opportunity to leave Germany and go to America during the time of uh, Hitler's reign in Germany. And so he was able to escape from the, from the tyrannical process that they were going through as they were persecuting Christians and things. And and he felt a huge burden after he got to America after a while saying, I cannot stand here idly by and enjoy the fruits of America and enjoy the safety of this place when I know that back home, my people, my family, they're encountering things and they need the gospel. So he decided to leave the comfort of America and travel back to Germany where he was a part of a group who actually tried to dethrone Hitler from his position and was thrown in jail because of his process of, of involvement. And three days before the war was won, he was executed in jail. But he gives, a, he gives in a book called Life, uh, Life Together, he gives a, a really uh, sobering thought saying that if we as, as Christians, especially those of us who've been in church for a long time, if, if we struggle with sitting down on a daily process and being able to read the word, If we struggle with that process, if we struggle with sitting down and reading, then there's going to be, there's something that is, that needs to be dealt with inside, and we should be a little embarrassed. Not to put shame on anybody, because again, look, we're, if we're a family, we don't want to shame people and make them feel lesser than they are, but we want to challenge. Say, if you truly do want to be a part of what we sang about this morning, that, that we can see this city in revival. Revival is not a service. Revival is not a string of meetings that you can have for a long period of time. Revival is when Jesus Christ convicts you of the things that you have been in, involved with. The Holy Spirit does a work and cracks open your heart, which was hard as stone, softens that heart, and then brings you to a place of repentance, and then changes what you were doing before to follow after Christ. That right there is revival. 
And so we can't just be waiting for a string of services to happen and say, this is going to be awesome. Now this speaker is going to be coming and it's going to be amazing. Or, hey, we were weeping at the altar for four hours, but when I go back home, I'm doing the same stuff that I've done before. Or I, I still can't agree with anything that my spouse is doing. Or I'm just still yelling at all these people and I'm full of anger in my life. That's not revival. That's a service. So truly, if we want to be a family, if we want to live out what, what Jesus has called us to and petitioned us to from the, from the Great Commission, that's to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. But he said first in, in, in Acts chapter 1, uh, uh, I think it was, um, maybe it was Garland, I can't remember, one of the speakers on uh, during the conference, they mentioned the process that, that we miss. It's from Jerusalem first, the homestead, then Judea, which is the neighboring area, and then Samaria, those who, who could be in conflict with you, and then to the ends of the earth. A lot of times we skip over Jerusalem and we just try to go to Judea because it's a lot easier to be talking to people who you're just friendly with and who are cool with you. It's a lot easier to do that than speak with family at times and to be able to have that conversation with them and to love them. Because again, truth without love is abuse. But truth with love will bring someone to repentance and it'll convict their heart. Love without truth is enabling them in sin. We also cannot negate that. We have to speak the truth in love. Those two both have to be an integral piece of the way that we present the gospel. And then there's other people that they'll, they'll skip over Jerusalem and Judea because they're so nervous about talking to people that they're friends with or their family that they'll just go right to people who they know they can have a conflict with and they just want to win an argument. And then there are others who just want to run away from everything that's happening and they'll just go to the ends of the earth thinking that that's going to be the thing that fixes all the problems. But when they come back home, they're dealing with the same issues. So we first must be a church who is geared towards family. If we can love our family, love these people. And I love that the word that he uses when speaking about, about the about training of the children. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training, I, I, I don't know about any of you guys. I played uh, athletics whenever I was in school. And, uh, and training was not easy. There was a thing in football called two-a-days. Anybody ever played sports or anything, done something called two-a-days? That's brutal. The, the, in soccer, they call it hell week a lot of times because it is very hot outside. You're running a ton. You're having to do a lot of physical labor. You're having to memorize plays. You have to go through a lot of process in order to get to the place to where when season starts, you can play the game, and it's easier because it's second nature. You're not supposed to start training when the game starts. You will be horribly destroyed <laughs> by the opposing team because the opposing team is prepared and so to adequately adequately be prepared we're gonna have to go through some uncomfortable stuff internally we're gonna have to deal with some things that that we may have thought is okay to be just handled off to the side well, i'm just going to church and that's good well amen brother that's amazing i'm glad you made it to church well, what are you working on when you get when you leave the church are you actually applying any of the principles that the people who are standing up at the pulpit pouring over scripture all throughout the week to bring you what they feel like the Lord wants you to hear? Are you applying that to your life? Or are you just excited that you made it to a church service? Because let me tell you, a church service will not save you and it will not get you access into a relationship with God. Whenever we meet, whenever we need the Savior, he's not going to say, well done, that good and faithful attendee of church. He's not going to say, well, well done, my good and faithful. You did X, Y, and Z in the church. You were a great evangelist for the gospel. You were a great this, this, or that. He would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
And then if you were not in relationship with him, he'd say, depart from me. I, I never knew you. We have to know Jesus. We cannot just talk about him. We cannot just read about him. We have to know him. Too many times we have, and I love this phrase just because it makes me laugh, as CP was in there. We can't be pew potatoes. We cannot be pew potatoes. We just show up and sit down and then leave, and that's it. Some of us are so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. He says that, that we are to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not your kingdom come, your will be done, and I'm just going to spend all my time up in the clouds. We have to be able to apply these things, not just, not just in word, but in deed. So to be a family, true family, we have to be able to go through processes of, of having disagreements, challenging one another. There are going to be times where, where we may not see eye to eye on certain things, but we can agree on one thing is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We can we disagree on wall colors and carpet colors and a design on a board or you know if we use a tv if we use speakers whatever kind of music's too loud too low those are all things that are way 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 down there on the things that actually matter to the gospel but what we need to do is we need to be able to challenge one another and then be able to accept that when a brother or sister in christ is coming to you with a concern that they're doing it out of love and not out of hate or out of malice we can accept that, then we're going to grow a lot. Because I don't know about you, but the Bible says that we will be convicted of things. It says not to be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, a lot of this stuff is going to come from this spot right here. This is going to be the place where we're going to have a lot of battles and wars. But I think that if we can do this process within family, then we're going to be able to see a lot of this. The next word that I wanted to go through is faithfulness. And this is something, we're, we are not here right now in this place without the faithfulness of two individuals to answer the call of the Lord whenever he told them to move from South, uh, from South Florida and then come up to Southeast Missouri and start a church. So let's just take a few moments to just honor the, the, the papa and mama of the house uh, for their faithfulness to the Lord, if we can do that. Amen. It was, it was their faithfulness that, that, show, that showed me that it's not about receiving a position in a church and just having, um, having an opportunity just to minister, and that's just the only thing you need to do. I mean, I can, I've, I've seen what could happen if you are just attracted to a position, and that's all you want is just to do that. I know that the enemy has, has presented in front of me different opportunities to go to different places and to be a part of different things, which is not terrible in itself, but it's just a little off kilter from what God had, had asked for me to do. When I was an 18-year-old uh, young man, I was painting in the church, and I heard the Lord say that you were to be like Elisha was to Elijah. I went and told Dad that afterwards. And I can see where throughout the process that in each and every one of our lives, we all have are, have been and, and will be presented with opportunities to do something that is outside of what God has asked us to do. That doesn't mean that you that you won't, if you make that decision to do that, that you will not be um, accepted uh, whenever you are, are passed away and, and gone to heaven. You can still know God, and that's, that's amazing, and that's wonderful. But there's certain things that God has called each and every one of us to do, that if we say yes to that call, and we say yes to Jesus and, and not to 
just an opportunity just because opportunity presents itself, that we'll be able to see the fruitfulness of God's hand and provision in our life in a much greater capacity than what they have before. I remember approaching Sister Virginia at one point in time, um, and I said, hey, I have this opportunity to do something, and I'm not going to tell you any details. I just want you to, to, to just seek the Lord and just let me know what you feel like the Lord um, tells you after this. She came back a week later, and she told me just that. She said, look, you, you can be blessed to do many different things in your life, but there's something specific that God has for you that if you, if you go somewhere else, then you're not going to be able to walk into what God has for you in the future. And I found that, and it resonated with my spirit. It's just immediate, as she said that, it was like, okay, my decision is made. Like, that was really easy after hearing that. It resonated with what I felt. And so I think that, that that's something that we can do within the context of family and faithfulness. If we're faithful to the family, we're faithful to really present the things that we feel, like our desires, our dreams, our passions, and what the Lord has laid on our hearts. If we can present that to family and say, what do you feel because of your relationship that you've had with me? And what you would, I know that I can trust because I know that you trust and that you actually care for my outcome in my life. Then I'm going to submit this to you and I want to hear what you feel like the Lord has to say because I'm too close to this part. And you start to see what God will do by when you honor the process of listening to one another and to, to submitting things to one another. It's a beautiful process. I owe a lot to Pastor Ken as well going through the ministry process, ministry school. I mean, I was super stoked to be able to go through the process of, of learning and reading more scripture. And, um, and I, I can talk to the multiple people who have gone through ministry school classes, and the majority of them will all say that Pastor Ken was their favorite teacher. <laughs> and because he has a passion and he has a burden for the word and to teach and to instruct and for people to come to the knowledge of the, of the word. And so to be able to grow with one another is, is such a blessing for us to do, and that's biblical. In the first century church, they would meet together in houses, and they would meet together in close-quarter environments. It wasn't huge, massive gatherings of people in the biggest buildings. They would go to houses, and they would sit there, and they would talk through the Word, they would discuss Scripture, and they would learn and glean from one another. That's a beautiful thing that we get to do. And so the last word that I want to I hit on before I read just the last portion of Scripture is forward. The, the paper called and asked uh, to talk about the transition process that, that we're going through today. And, uh, and they asked me a question. One of the questions was, what, what do you think, um, why do you think after, after so long in the ministry that your father decided to step down? And, and as soon as I read that question, I immediately thought, he's not stepping down, he's moving forward. And this is a process that we need to be, to be excited about within each and every one of our lives. Nobody ever retires from the gospel. There's never a process of just being done with having to do stuff for the, for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what, what stage of life you're in. If you, are, if you are just starting to figure out what you want to do with life, if you are just coming out of high school, maybe, maybe you're on the tail end, you're in the retirement years. Maybe you're in the middle. You're just like, I, I might, I might want to be pivoting. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm feeling strong in my occupation. This is great. Regardless of what the process is, you are never to step down from your relationship with God and from your responsibility to make disciples. We're to continuously move forward in what God is calling us into doing. And this is something that we need to be excited about in each and every one of our brothers and sisters process with one another. So if we can challenge each other as a family, if we can challenge each other to, to do more. Some of us are, are doing a lot less than what we could actually do I'm not talking about in the church. I'm just talking about in life in itself. We've settled. 
But if you could just listen to the voice of someone who's close to you, who knows your, your capabilities, who knows what you're actually capable of doing, who can see the potential in you much more than what you can see for yourself. If you can listen to those voices as the Holy Spirit leads them to challenge you, then do you know what? You're going to do a lot more in life than you could have even thought. I was hanging out with, uh, with some friends of mine last night, and they build houses in town. And, uh, and Scott, he told me, he was like, you know, he's like, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten in my life was from a boss that he had before. And he said, he told him this. He said, at the end of the day, regardless if you worked a ton or if you worked just a little bit or you did nothing, you're going to be tired. Think about that. At the end of the day, regardless if you worked as hard as you could have ever worked in your life, or you just sat on the couch all day long, at the end of the day, you're going to be tired. So why not put yourself to work and be useful throughout the day? If regardless of what's happening, you're going to be tired, why don't you be tired and have a reason to be tired? So how about we do that also within when it comes down to our relationship with the Lord, when it comes down to, to actually working for God. He said here that even in the process of, uh, and he uses slaves and masters, and in those days it was much different from our Western idealism of what slave and master really is. Um, this was a process of work, and that you would be indebted to the, to the person who they would deem your master, and that was just like an employee-employer um, uh, exchange. So it's just your job. So in your job, work not just to gain the favor of the person that you're working for so that you keep your job. How many of you guys want to keep your jobs? Amen. Yes, we need to pay our bills in the name of Jesus. Okay, uh, so, so it's not just a process of paying for your bills and to, and to keep your job, but it's a process of saying everything that I do represents Christ. And so I'm not going to slack off in my day-to-day -day operation if I'm not being looked at because I'm just so tired of doing all this. No, I'm, I need to honor the Lord in everything that I do. And that process of honoring God, I'm going to see the fruit from that labor. Not because I think that I deserve it, but because that's what Jesus does. Is God blesses those who put in the work in that process too. There's a process that, that's called, or, or a concept that's, that's reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. You will reap what you sow. If you are not sowing, you are not going to reap anything. So if you sow in good work, if you sow in dedication, if you sow in faithfulness, fruitfulness, if you sow in the family, you're going to reap the benefits from actually putting in the hard work. If you want to have a good harvest, if you want to actually plant, you're not going to set the seed on top. Is that right, Sherman? I mean, I'm not a farmer, but I think that's not how that process works. You don't put the seed on top of the soil and then see some good things happen. You have to actually put the seed into the ground. So if we want to see good soil, from, if we want to see a good harvest from our families, if we want to see a good harvest from this community, from this church, then we need to be able to have the process of going through and tilling the ground, breaking up the hard ground if it's hard, putting in the work so that that seed can be planted deep. And then go through the process of watering it and then watching that grow. Farmers don't just do nothing until harvest season. They have to work. They have to work hard to see that harvest actually come to fruition. And so we need to be faithful in that process. So in moving forward, this is what I love about Ephesians chapter 6. A lot of, time, a lot of times we forget, we forget about this first part and we go right to this part. And so I really wanted to set up this, this portion here for the first Sunday to really reiterate that instead of just looking at we need to tear down principalities, my Uncle Jerry shared on, uh, on Thursday morning just a really great message on, uh, or sorry, Friday morning, uh, a really great message on the kingdom of God and how there's a lot of times where we just chase after spiritual things before establishing some things and listening to what God has to say. And I love that, this, that in this portion of scripture, Paul first talks about family 
And then he moves into this. He says, this is the order, the way that we should live with one another. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We have to be secured in the family. We have to be passionate about the family before we look at slaying all these dragons and taking care of all these other things. Because guess what? In that process of, of having some harder conversations, in the process of challenging one another, in the process of, of faithfully serving and moving forward, you're going to see that a lot of things that you would have to war in the secret room, you don't, you don't have to war for those anymore because you're actually dealing with them with those people. And you're watching them getting set free instead of just waiting back and praying for them to get set free, hoping that at some point somebody's going to talk to them. Let me tell you something. If you have a burden and you're praying that hard for some people and you don't have any conversation with them, it's probably because God is giving you a burden to be the person to talk to them and to challenge them. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful convictor, but he also works through us. So we have to be willing to open our mouths and have an uncomfortable moment with people so that we can see people set free. Amen. There's a lot of people who would benefit from, from what we call counseling, and that's because they don't talk about things. It's not, because, um, it's not because we just need counselors so bad. We need counselors so bad because we don't know how to talk to one another. Amen? It's rough. It's tough. You don't see back in the, in the Old Testament that Moses was like, okay, well, we got we to gotta look for our, our resident counselor over here to deal with some things. I'm not bashing counselors. I mean, they're amazing. We need them desperately. But we need to also utilize them to realize how we can speak with one another. We can't just be so dependent on them that we cannot look to the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in conversations and to be open with one another to be able to do these things. And counselors do an amazing job finding those questions that can be asked and giving you tools to go back into your home and to be able to utilize them. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I love that imagery. We don't have truth. It's, it's, it will end up being an embarrassment just like as if you're walking around your pants fall to your, to your ankles. You need truth to hold you up. You need truth to keep you grounded. I don't want to be in the middle of Walmart and all of a sudden I'm like, ah! it's gone. Don't need to be that way, right? Amen. Nobody else wants to do that either, right? Thank you, Jesus, for belts or for a drawstring, whatever. We have to have the truth. The truth needs to be secure. It needs to hold us together. It needs to have us at all times. Otherwise, if we're, if we're not with truth, we'll end up in embarrassing moments. That's where people end up into really rocky ground and really sketchy territory when it comes to the Bible because they don't actually root themselves in truth. They root themselves in opinion. He didn't say, I'm the way, the opinion, and the life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We got a lot of people with opinions online today. 
And if all we're doing is if we're, if we're finding our, if we're finding our doctrinal principles, if we're looking at scripture only through the lens of Facebook videos, TikTok videos, Instagram reels, or any kind of YouTube video, and we're not actually looking at the Bible ourselves, then we are very twisted and we're looking at other people as Jesus. Let me say that again. We're looking at other people as Jesus instead of actually looking at Christ and have a relationship with him yourself. If you're so ever-loving dependent on someone to stand up here and tell you what you need to and don't need to do, then you are making this person Christ. And let me tell you what, that person will let you down sooner or later. You need to have a relationship with Christ. Christ is the one who offers you salvation. Not me, not Pastor Ken, not Pastor Kevin. And so stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. I love that. The breastplate is very visible, right? That's something you see. So righteousness should be something that is visible in our lives. People should not have to guess if we're living righteously or not. It should be very evident in the way that we present ourselves. You can see a crest a lot of times when you look at medieval times. You can see the crest of who they represent and who that person is a part of. You, I mean, you'd be in, in hand-to-hand combat. They're just going nuts. I mean, everybody's just, both sides of the army are just in, entangled with one another. I mean, there's stuff happening everywhere. But you can look and you can see that crest on their chest and you know exactly whose team that person's on, whose side that they're on. So we need to be able to be distinguishable, even in the midst of chaos. As things are going chaotically around us, you can see that I walk in peace because of who I represent. And so we have the breastplate of righteousness in its place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, as you walk, blessed are those who are peacemakers, right? So again, we don't need to go around looking for arguments and looking for who we can, we can outsmart with our fancy rhetoric, but rather we need to be able to show them the gospel in person. Some people will not be able to be won over by a fanciful argument but they will be won over by the way that you love. They will be won over by the way that you carry yourself in the midst of circumstance and problems. It's very easy to say, yes, I'm a Christian when things are going very well, but in the midst of chaos, are you able to still walk with peace? I love that that Paul describes the life of a believer in the way of, of fruit of the Spirit. He says, he says that the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All nine of those, I love that they, it's, it's almost like it's, it's a category where after you have one, you'll begin to walk in another, and then the next and the next, because all things revolve around the love of Christ. So if you have love, then guess what? You're going to have the joy of the Lord, which gives you strength. If you have joy, then you're going to be able to walk in peace because you know that it is not anybody else's opinions or anybody else's strategies or anybody else's circumstances that actually gives you the foundation of what you need. So it's the love of God. So you have love, then joy, then peace, then you have patience, then kindness, then goodness, then faithfulness, then gentleness, and self-control. All those things will be predicated upon the one in which you serve who is the God of love. And so in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I love that. We're going to have the shield of faith. Bam. Knock against anything that the enemy can try to push against you because it is not by circumstances, by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. My faith is in Christ. I may not be able to physically see him right here standing in front of me, but my faith is in the one 
who, came, who gave his life and who ascended. And I can now have, um, have relationship with him and I can resonate with what he did through the Holy Spirit's conviction in my life. It's only by the Spirit that we're drawn. It's not by any man's words, but it's by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So it's through the Holy Spirit that I have faith that Christ is my Savior. Amen. And so we have the shield of faith. And then he even goes through a little bit later on talking about the helmet of salvation to where my mind, my mind is secured in Christ in the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not in what I can see in the world because then my, then my mind runs rampant because there's all kinds of craziness and stupidity that people are going through right now within our world. Amen. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I don't have to stand here and tell you all the things. You, you just open up any social media and you can find a couple things you probably think are crazy. And so we can see that the, the helmet of salvation should be something that we have firmly set to where anything that would try to penetrate that is other than salvation will fall to the ground because we are secured in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And when he is the one that we are secured in, then we don't have to worry about anything else outside of that because it is in Christ and Christ alone that my hope is found. And then he said the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is amazing because we do not fight against any kind of warring thought. We don't have to do any kind of combat with anything that I would try to come up with. It is the word of Christ that we should be able to go through and dictate all of the motions and all the things that we do. If we don't know the word, then it's going to be very hard for us to engage in combat with what the enemy is trying to do in our lives. And it's going to be very easy for him to penetrate our stuff and for us to not defend ourselves from what the enemy is coming against us with because we don't know what he says. We may know what other people say, but we don't know what his word actually says. There's, there's a, a, Dr. Dawson, some of you guys may have remembered her. She came and spoke at the, uh, the women's conference, and she was one of my mentors for my, my master's program. She was, a, uh, she was a, a missionary in China for, for five years. She taught in the underground school uh, in China. And she said that the prerequisite for all of the students that would go into that under, underground school was that they had to memorize a thick portion of the New Testament. The students before, like you're admissioned. You're, it's not like, oh, I want to learn what the word says. It's like, no, you have to memorize the word first, and then you get admitted into the school. How many of us would not even be close to being admitted into a school like that? But I mean, it, me too. I do not have the majority of the Bible memorized by any standpoint. But let me tell you what, the faith that these people had, because what they were doing is they were preparing themselves, saying, if you are going to be dedicated to this, you are going to memorize this, and then you'll be able to give your life to where even on the road, walking or migrating your way from your little village to that place where that school is going to be at, you could be murdered for your faith. In the process of studying in there, I mean, they had to go through tons of protocol and tons of secrecy in order to just to gather with one another so that they can learn. And so in that process... They had to be willing to where it, in, at any point in time, any moment, they could all be executed for the gospel. And they were completely fine with that. Many of us would squirm at the fact of thinking that maybe there would be a couple people coming here and protest. That would make many of us extremely uncomfortable. And so, so to think about the process that, that, you know, there's a lot of these people in these places that do not have access to even a Bible. They don't have access to an app. They don't have access to a paper Bible. They would memorize scripture and think it's so, th there are some villages to where they would pass around pages to one another, and they would weep as they would see just one page singing in their hand because they have never seen the Bible in person before. And they would weep and weep and weep, and they would go over and memorize it as, as quickly as they could so they could hold it inside of them, so that as they were going throughout their life, they could communicate.
Christ that it would be inside of them. Psalm 119 says that how could a young man keep his way pure but to know the word of God? To obey the precepts of the Lord. We cannot make our ways pure. We cannot go through life without knowing what the word says. And I hope you don't feel condemnation from this, from this message this morning, but I, I really hope it challenges you to think, when I'm going through my life, as I'm speaking with other people, as I'm processing information, am I filtering it through the word or am I just filtering it through my experience? We need to be people who know the word, not so we can be pious and we can think that we're better than other people, but so that we can have greater compassion for others and we can stand firm on the gospel message. And then he says this, to end it out. He said, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This last portion is extremely powerful if you understand the context in which Paul was writing. He was in prison at this time. He was getting ready to be uh, presented in front of many different influential figures that could kill him at any point in time that they wanted to. And so he's writing this fully aware and knowing that what he was about to walk into was also something that he was going to have to suit up. He was going to have to be ready. So he was not just passively writing a letter to a church saying, oh, you know, make sure you put on an armor of God. It's good for you. Praise Jesus. He was saying, look, I'm walking into the enemy's territory, and these people don't know Christ, and they need to know Jesus. And the way that the Lord had actually blazed a trail for me to do so is that I'm sitting here in chains in a prison, and I'm not ashamed, therefore, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand firm on what I know Christ has given me and what Jesus has done for me, knowing good and well that I could very well die, but I'm going to stand there and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people so that they can know that the power of God can transform their lives because he cares for them. That's what he was walking into. And so he can say that with authority. And the people knew that as they read this letter, they could feel the weightiness of the ink on this, uh, on this paper. So we need to therefore be willing to stand firm, first in Jerusalem, in our households, then in Judea with those who are familiar with us, then in Samaria to those who could be in conflict with us, and then to the ends of the earth afterwards. But we have to be so strong to look at what our household is like first. Because what good is it that we save everyone else, but then our own family ends up going to the wayside and being sacrificed at the altar of ministry? So my, my charge to us this morning is that let's be a family, but not just a family in word, but let's be a family in deed. Let's be a family in practice. Let's be a family in pursuit of Christ. And let's stand firm, knowing that because we are challenging and being challenged, that that's only going to grow us closer to Christ, because that's what he's called us to do. So I, I will promise one thing is that we will do our best to try to be students of the word and to try to continue to teach the word. And in that, we'll be able to experience the wonderful things that God has in store for us. Because in speaking truth, people are going to get set free of demonic oppression. 
In speaking truth, people are going to be set free of addiction. In speaking truth, people are going to be set free of, 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 uh, of improper thinking. In speaking the truth, people are going to be brought back together from having, having been displaced from one another. By speaking truth, people are going to come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. We will not just be people who hold revival meetings, but we will be people who are revived and reviving others. So let's stand up if you agree with all these things this morning. If you don't, sit down and pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so stand up and let's, let's glorify the Lord this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your patience with us. Father, we, we mess up consistently all the time, but you still have grace for us in the midst of our struggles. You still have mercy for us in the midst of the chaos. You still love us and you still have, have much and much grace, much more grace than we've ever deserved or we've ever been able to earn. So Father, thank you so much for everything that you do inside of us. Lord, challenge us. Give us the opportunity to challenge others as well as we grow in your word. Lord, if we are in, incorrect in our, in, our, in our thinking or in our practice, let, let us have some people who care about us to speak out and to be able to let us know that, hey, we need to correct these things. And Father, let us be students of the word and let us stand upon the firm foundation of your word. Father, let us be ones who are not distant from your, from your word. Let us not be ones who are distant from being able to spend time with you. But Lord, let us be those who are so in love with you and so pursuing you, Lord, that it is, it is evident to those who we are around. So Father, let us not just be Christians and practice on a Sunday morning, but let us be Christians in the way that we live our life so that people can know who we are by your grace, God. Not, by, not to elevate my position or to elevate my name, but let any time that our names are brought up, let it be one that glorifies you, Father, because they know that you dwell inside of us, that you are doing a work and have done a work inside of us as well. We love you, we praise you, we glorify you because there's no one else like you. We give you all the praise and thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. If you would like prayer, you're more than welcome to come up. We will, we will gladly pray with you. If not, go have lunch with somebody, love on somebody else, and we'll see you guys Wednesday and perhaps next Sunday.